Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I am so glad that you are joining us this morning. This is week number three in our series called Starting Point. And this is kind of like a getting back to basics series where we're talking about why even believe in Christianity, what is Christianity all about, and my hope is that no matter where you're at in your journey of faith, that you would walk away from this uh, having gotten something out of it. Even if you've been a Christian for most of your life, my hope is that you wouldn't think, ah, this is for somebody else, I already know all the answers. I would like to challenge you to take this in so that you can share with other people about the hope that we have in Jesus. Or if you're new to the faith or you're just checking things out, my hope is that you would see pretty clearly what the Christian faith is all about. Now this morning is a pretty big milestone in my life personally because I finally get to use my son as a sermon illustration. (laughs) This has been a long time coming. I shared a picture of him a few weeks ago. That was just a proud dad moment, and I'm still a proud dad, so here's another picture. Yeah, this is us hiking out in the Howland Preserve, and it was the week when he first started smiling and looking around, but that's not the point. All right, so the point is, a few weeks ago, uh, we stayed for a ministry meeting after the third service, and we were in the other building eating pizza with a bunch of other people, because that's part of the meeting, and I'm sitting there with Liam on my lap, and it seems like out of nowhere, he just ripped one, like so loud. It's like he sat on three whippy cushions all at once, or like one after the other after the other. It went on for a ridiculously long time, and in that moment, he became the center of attention for everybody in the room. They're just like, is he okay? And he filled his diaper. To say he filled his diaper is an understatement, and... The sad part of the story is, like, up to this point, we didn't realize that he had an allergy to milk, which is kind of a tough thing to have when you're a baby and your diet consists of milk. So all that to say, we were going to, like, doctor's appointments and stuff, trying to get it figured out. He had some digestion issues. He wasn't pooping nearly as much as he should. Until this day, he was making up for lost time. And the mess that he made in his diaper went through the diaper, through his outfit, and onto my pants. So he had, he had a little outfit like this. Actually, this is just a similar one on the same day. This has been through the wash like three times. And he's not wearing it, I promise. I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration. And it's going on right there in the trash. And we won't have to look at it again. <laughs> Good. <laughs> But all that to say, could you imagine me as a father seeing my son go through that and then looking at him in the eyes and saying, look at this mess you've made. Go clean that up yourself and turning my back and walking away, leaving him to either change his own diaper, which is hard to do at eight weeks old, actually it was like six weeks at the time, or to just sit there in that mess that he was in. I think since being a father... I've gained a little bit better perspective on the love of our Heavenly Father. And last week, we were talking about the fact that we aren't just good people who sometimes make mistakes. There's a bigger problem going on than just being mistakers. 
I think as all of us are here in this room, we represent people who don't just make mistakes, but we have a sin problem. We are sinners. And our sin hurts our relationship with God. But can you imagine God looking at all of us here in this room and even people all across the world in this big mess of sin and just saying, y'all, look at this mess you've made. Better go clean that up yourself. And God just turning his back on us and walking away. Can you imagine God doing that? I mean, maybe, maybe you can. Maybe you've kind of gone through life with the mentality that you've got to just clean up your life before you can come to God, and then maybe he'll accept you. But I, I think that the truth is, there's no way that I can even love my own son as much as God loves everybody here in this room. Because God loves everybody here in this room, because God loves the world, he didn't just give up and walk away when this world became a mess of sin. Instead of turning his back on the mess, God waded into our mess. Before sin even entered the world, God had a plan to rescue us from our sin. And when sin finally did enter the world, when humanity sinned against God and disobeyed him, God shared that he would work out a plan to rescue his people from sin. And it, we don't really see that plan start to unfold until we see God work through a man named Abraham. And so we're going to take a look at Abraham's story and see what God does through his life in order to offer a solution to our sin problem. So if you have your own Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have your own Bible, that's totally fine. We'll have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. And just a heads up, Abraham had a name change partway through his life. Most of us here probably know him as Abraham, but before his name was Abraham, his name was Abram. So as we're reading these verses, it's about a guy named Abram. It's really the same guy that we know today as Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. Can you imagine God just kind of showing up out of nowhere and talking to you? It's kind of a big deal. And what's interesting about the situation here is that this happened long before the Bible was ever written. And so I have no idea what Abraham even knew about God, if he knew anything about God. I'm sure we know a lot more about God today because we have the Bible than Abraham did. So God shows up to Abraham and he's like, all right, here's what I want you to do. Leave your family, leave the land that you grew up in, and move to this land that you've never been to before. Now maybe you're thinking, all right, that sounds just like God. Like God waits till we get comfortable, and then he shakes up our life and points us to get out of our comfort zone or test our faith or something like that. And I think what's going on here is God is not just getting Abraham out of his comfort zone or just even testing his faith. God has really big plans to work through Abraham. And we're going to see how these plans unfold through three promises that God gives to Abraham. And as we walk through each of these promises that God gives to Abraham, I think what we're going to see is the Bible is not just a religious book. 
The Bible is not just a spiritual book about things that you can't see or things that we wish were true or warm, fluffy things. But the Bible is a book about real places, real people, things that actually happened. And even if you don't believe in the Bible, I think you would agree that these promises that we're reading about are actually fulfilled today. So the first promise that God gives to Abraham is, he says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. We'll stop right there. So God promises to make Abraham into a great nation. And I think God goes over and above on this one. Abraham isn't just the father of one nation, but actually of two nations. So here's kind of a very concise family tree. Abraham had two sons. Most of us are probably familiar with his son Isaac and then his son Jacob, who got a name change to Israel. So that becomes the nation of Israel. He also had a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. And so there's a lot of people out in the Middle East who really don't believe much of what the Bible has to say, but they would point back to Abraham and say that he is the father of their nation. And so this promise that God gave Abraham all those thousands of years ago has already been fulfilled. There's another promise that God gave him. He said, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Ketaleomer? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've heard of Ketaleomer before. Yeah, we got one guy in the room, and he went to seminary to learn that. So, if you don't know who Ketaleomer is, that is totally fine. But this guy, he lived around the same time as Abraham, and he was like the king of kings. He was the king of Edom, and there were other kings who lived underneath his rule. So he's a pretty big profile. But you know what's interesting? In the room this size, there is only one person who knows who Ketaleomer is. How many of you know who Abraham is? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. You've at least heard of Abraham. I think that goes to show that Abraham is indeed a pretty famous person to be remembered throughout all of history. And I think you know you're famous when you have songs written about you that people still sing thousands of years later. How many of you have heard the song, Father Abraham and many sons, and you start doing weird stuff with your arms and legs? I don't know how that connects to Abraham's life, but there's a song about him. And I looked this up on Spotify. I'm like, how popular is this song? (laughs) And on Spotify, by this particular artist, this song has got more than 4 million listens. And maybe there's just a few kids who listen to this song on repeat like all night long or drive their family crazy with it. Or maybe it's actually a pretty popular song. All that to show God promised that Abraham would be famous and that he would be blessed. And we see this is true today. And then the third promise that God gives Abraham. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is the one promise that maybe you read it and you're like, what is going on here? What does it mean for all the families of the world to be blessed? You might even think, is that really true? But that word family could also be translated as clan. 
all the clans of the earth, or all the different people groups of the world would be blessed through Abraham. And I see that, I think that this is fulfilled ultimately through Jesus. Here's a super brief family tree. Um, so you have Abraham, the Israelite nation. David was king over Israel for a while, and he was a, an ancestor to Jesus. So Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. Jesus is really God's son coming to earth as a man, living the perfect life that we could never live so that he would die on the cross to perfectly pay for the price of sin that we all deserve to pay so that if we believe in him, we can have forgiveness of our sins and a relationship with God for all of eternity. And I think that is the biggest blessing that anybody could ever experience. And this blessing of a relationship with God is not just limited to people in the Israelite nation, but this is an offer that is extended to all nations and all peoples. And you could even say that the impact that Christians have made, followers of Jesus, has been pretty incredible throughout the world. That is far greater than any other nonprofit organization. As far as like starting orphanages, building hospitals, digging wells, and just being there for people in need, God has greatly used followers of Jesus to be a part of this impact, and it traces back to Abraham. So these are some pretty awesome promises that God gave to Abraham, but there seemed to be one really, really major hang-up. And if we look back just a few verses in the Abraham story, we would read this verse where it says, but Sarai, and that's Abraham's wife, was unable to become pregnant and had no children. How do you become the father of a great nation if you can't have kids? And so this was really tough for Abraham and his wife. And even at the time that God gave them these promises, they were getting up there in years. And each year that went on, as long as they weren't seeing God's fulfillment of this promise, they were starting to doubt that God would really come through. They were starting to doubt that God would ever give them a son. And so God shows himself to Abraham another time, not to give him a new promise, but to reaffirm the promise that he had already given him. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 15 and start in verse 1. It says, Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendant of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. The Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So all this time goes on. Abraham and Sarah, they still don't have a son, and they're just doubting God's promises. Abraham's thinking, if we're going to see even just the half of what God said play out, then I'm just going to have to give my whole inheritance to this servant in my household because I don't have a son. But God reaffirms his promise to Abraham, and in verse 5 it says, Then the Lord took Abraham, Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. 
That is how many descendants you will have. Now, I really enjoy stargazing, and something that I've learned is there are two pretty big factors that will make or break if you have a good stargazing experience. One of them is whatever phase the moon is in. Like, if the moon is really bright, forget about it. It is way harder to see the stars. But if you plan it out just right, where you go when the moon is dark, then it makes the stars look even brighter. The other factor is light pollution. Like, if we were to go out to Main Street in Tunkhannock in the middle of the night and look up at the stars, we'd see maybe four stars. And then one would start to blink, and you'd be like, no, nope, that's just a satellite. So light pollution makes an incredible difference. Now, I don't know what phase the moon was in when God showed Abraham the stars. But one thing I do know is way back before there was electricity, there was no light pollution. And so here Abraham is out in the vast wilderness looking up at the sky. And I'm willing to believe that it was just an amazing, amazing display of stars. And God is telling Abraham, like, you can count, you can try to count the stars, but what I want to show you is that you will someday have more descendants than the number of stars that you can count. And so God is not making a new promise to Abraham. He's reaffirming the promise that he already made. And the verse that comes next, I think, is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. And normally, I don't like to rank verses of importance. I think the entire Bible is important. But this one verse is so foundational that it is repeated three times in the New Testament. So let's go ahead and look at it together. It's chapter 15, verse 6. It says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, Abraham was not a perfect person. Far from it. There was this time when he and his wife were traveling through Egypt, and he told his wife, he's like, yo, I know you're beautiful, everybody else knows you're beautiful, and as we go into Egypt, there's going to be Egyptians who want to take you as their own wife, and they'll probably kill me to get to you. So let's just say that you're my sister, all right? So they kind of played it off like she was his sister, and the king of Egypt sees that she's beautiful, and is like, oh, she's on the market. So he takes her in as his own wife, and guess what Abraham does? Nothing. He just sends his wife to become somebody else's wife. Doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything. So his wife is taken into the household of the king, and eventually God makes it pretty clear to the king through sending plagues on him that she is actually a married woman. And so he gives her back to Abraham, and he's like, why did you lie to me? Why did you say that she was just your sister? And I've never read it in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure Abraham and his wife needed serious marriage counseling after that whole incident. It's probably like, why did you give me up? You didn't even say anything. But they're still together, and they're part of this whole incredible story of God's plan to rescue us from our sin. And so all that story to say, Abraham is not a perfect person. He's had some junk in his life. He's done more than just make a few mistakes. He is a sinner. And as we talked about last week, sin hurts relationships. His relationship with God was hurt because of his sin. But 
when Abraham believed in God's promises, it says that he was counted as righteous, like God did not hold Abraham's sin against him anymore. And because Abraham's sin was not held against him, he was able to have a right relationship with God. Trusting in God resulted in a right relationship. It was nothing that Abraham did. It's not just because Abraham was somebody special, but it was that trust that made him in a right relationship with God. And so maybe the big question is, all right, is that just true for Abraham? Is that just true for people who lived in the Old Testament, like the time before Jesus? Or is that true for us today? And I think the big question is, what if a starting point for a relationship with God is trust? And maybe you've thought about the Bible and everything that the Bible says and kind of split it into two halves, like maybe thinking before the time of Jesus, they just had to obey the Ten Commandments or obey all the rules that, that Moses gave them from God. And as long as they obeyed rules, then that's how they would get to heaven, right? Well, Abraham lived before the time of Jesus. And it wasn't by following rules that made his relationship right with God. It was simply trusting that God would follow through on his promises. And there's been people throughout history especially the religious leaders and the Pharisees who believed that they could have a right relationship with God just because Abraham was their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And Jesus is saying, it's not about your family tree that makes you right with God, but it's about your faith. And we see this in the words of Paul. He's actually going to quote that verse that we read uh, just a moment ago about Abraham believing in God. So Paul says in the New Testament, so after the time of Jesus, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. And so what he's saying here is that a right relationship with God is not something that we earn. It's something that's given to us as a gift, and we can receive it simply by believing that what God says is true. I think what's hard, though, for a lot of us is that it feels just too simplistic like, all right, am I really going to get to heaven just through belief, just through trust? Maybe I need to do, maybe I can believe the right things and do some things for God, and that's what it'll take to have a right relationship with him and get to heaven. But uh, a few weeks ago, I was in a men's group, and one of the guys was showing me something called a rocket book. How many of you have heard of a rocket book before? A few of you? This thing is so fancy to me, all right? It's like a notebook that has whiteboard pages. You use a normal pen on it, and then it's got a QR code at the bottom that you can scan it with your phone, and it becomes a digital document. And then you can use a cloth and some water and erase the pen to use it over and over again. So somebody was showing this to me, and my mind was blown. I was like, what? 
This is like the best thing since sliced bread. Well, a few days later, one of my friends bought me a rocket book, and he gave it to me as a gift. Now, how would my friend feel if after he gave me this gift, I came up to him and I was like, hey man, thank you so much for the new notebook, and I reach into my pocket and pull out a wad of cash, and I give him that cash for the notebook. You think he'd be like, yeah, you're welcome. I really needed the money, so thanks. Or that's why I gave it to you. Probably not. Because the moment that I pay him for what he gave me, it's not a gift anymore. It becomes a transaction. It becomes something that I earn, something now that I feel some sense of entitlement to. And it takes the focus away from his generosity and places the focus on my own efforts. And I think the same is true when it comes to having a right relationship with God, is we can have this forgiveness of our sins and a right relationship with God simply by receiving God's free gift for us through belief and trust. But instead of just accepting what God is offering us, we're like, all right, how about how many times do I have to go to church? How many times do I have to do all of these things in order to earn this relationship with you? And if we try to do that, then we take the focus away from God's generosity and we put it on our own efforts. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to live the way that God wants you to live and to live in obedience to him. That's, that's so true. Like, we need to do that. But that isn't what earns us God's approval. It isn't what earns us a relationship with him. If we do the right thing and obey the Bible then it's out of a love for God and what he has already done for us. It's not about what we can do for God, but it's about accepting what he's already done for us and then living that out in a relationship with him. And so I don't know where you're at in your journey of faith. Maybe you need to start a relationship with God to take care of your sin problem. Maybe you've been trying to fix this problem on your own by doing good works, when instead of doing good works, what you need is to just to believe in what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. And maybe you are a Christian, but sometimes you feel like you have to earn God's approval. You have to earn a relationship with him. And I want to encourage you that that price for your sin has already been paid for and that God wants you to live for him, but you don't have to do that to earn his love, but only to demonstrate your love for him. And the other thing I just want to make available is this book, which is probably not new information for most of you, but we have this at the Welcome Center. And I keep bringing it up because we ran out of copies the first week and the second week. We are not going to run out of copies anymore. But this little book answers the question, what does it take to get to heaven? And maybe you already know the answer to that question, but it could be there's somebody in your life who is trying to connect the dots or they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. I want to encourage you, even if you already have this book for yourself, or you know all the answers, to pick up one of these books and to give it to somebody else. And maybe God can use this little book just in their journey of faith and coming to experience a relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, God has done so much for us in offering a relationship with us. And we only need to receive it through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for your goodness towards us. Um, God, when sin entered the world, you had every right to just turn your back on us or hit the reset button, but instead you chose to send your son to give up his rightful place in heaven to enter this world as a man, to live live as a man with all of the trials, all of the hardships. God, he did all of that knowing that he would go to the cross to take a punishment that we all deserve to pay. And he did that willingly. God, I just thank you for that. And I ask that we would not try to uh, just earn a relationship with you, but that we would receive the gift that you have given us. And that a relationship with you would put that spark in us to live for you and give us every, to give you every part of our lives. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.